Hi, I'm Michelle Brooks. Welcome to Endo Matters. This is a podcast that helps women with endometriosis get in control of their condition, no longer letting it control them. I'll be asking you, the listener, what help you would like and giving you tips on how you can live a better life with endo. After all, endo does matter. Hello listeners and welcome to another episode of Endo Matters. Today I'm going to be covering a subject which many endo sufferers can relate to and that is emotional eating and cravings. It's very common in the lead up to a period to have these kind of cravings that overtake you. We start to crave things like sugary foods and carbs which in my experience and the experience of a lot of the people that I work with are really not the things to be eating at that time because it can make symptoms a lot worse. That said, um, it can be a very emotional roller coaster having endometriosis, and we can use food sometimes as a void for the pain that we're in and as a bit of a crutch. So we can add these foods in as a way of kind of dealing with the symptoms, but then we get the worst pain. So it becomes a bit of a vicious circle. Now, I know a lot about this subject, I've read a lot about it, but am I by no means an expert? So, what I'm going to do today is invite a guest on to speak about this and I met this lady a few months back and we've had a few conversations and it's just fascinating talking to her so I really wanted to get her on the show today so that you too can have an experience of what she's all about. So I'm going to introduce you in a moment to Dr Victoria Baxter. She's a HCPC registered clinical psychologist, easy for me to say, with a special interest in relationships with food As I say, we met a few months back and the conversations we've had so far are so fascinating. So it's with great, great pleasure to introduce you now to Victoria. Hi, Victoria. How are you doing today? Hello, I'm good. Thank you very much for having me. Absolute pleasure. I'm so happy to have you on. So first of all, Victoria, let's um, let's hear about what you do. Who are you and and what is it you do for a living? Okay, big question. Um, So... I'm, as you mentioned in your little intro there, thank you. My name's Victoria and I'm a clinical psychologist. Um, I've worked in um, the world of psychology in the NHS for coming up to 15 years now, um, fully qualified as a clinical psychologist since 2013. Um, and my role has involved uh, a mixture of physical health and mental health services. Most recently and currently, I still work in the NHS for three days a week in a physical health setting in a pain management service actually and support quite a few women with endometriosis there Um, and then alongside that it was about 18 months ago now that I decided to bring my personal passion of looking at relationships with food out into the community in the form of my weight management um, service that I run. So this is known as Love Food Live Well and it's it's a clinical psychology service which as you rightly said where I specialise in relationships with food. So I'm helping people um, to take a, a look, a psychological look at their relationships with food to have a think about the ways in which we can get caught up in diet mentality and dieting traps and yo-yoing often for years and years at a time rather than actually doing what we need to to look after our health. So as I mentioned, this is a a personal passion of mine because it was probably maybe nearer two years ago now that I kind of had had enough of dieting. I'd spent all my adult life dieting to try and improve my health and realised that it just wasn't working. And there was something about 
being stuck in the traps of dieting that was getting me caught. So I decided to try a different route and I realised actually that I needed to start to practice what I preach in therapy with people because I learned all about, um, I started to talk to nutritionists for a start and learn all about the area of intuitive eating. And it was upon listening to lots of podcasts actually about intuitive eating that I realised that the approach that seems to be the thing that nutritionists, PTs, actually weight management psychologists that I spoke to in the NHS, everyone seemed to be singing from the same hymn sheet, which was absolutely about um, anti-dieting, really, and being guided by your your values and your health. And that's where I realised this is what I do with people day in, day out. So as a clinical psychologist, I help people to take a look at themselves, understand their own psychology, understand their the way their mind works, the way they relate to their feelings and how that affects their behaviour. And I'm there to help someone to come alongside someone and help them make changes in their life in that arena so that they can enjoy a much improved quality of life now as I say I've spent my career doing that with people in terms of managing mental health problems and also managing physical health conditions Mm. and it was then that I realized this is just what I need to do for myself but in terms of to help me manage my own health and this has to be about not about numbers on a scale and striving to lose weight or inches but striving to look after my health absolutely Um, yeah I completely agree with all you've just said there it's really difficult sometimes when I get a client in front of me oh just write me a nutrition plan Mm. well yes I can do that that's absolutely fine but it's that mentality behind why they feel they need to lose that weight in the first place that's more important I think and the health especially when I work with women with endometriosis, I feel like the health is, should be, in my opinion, the first thing on their mind is helping them get over the symptoms of endometriosis first. And they always keep talking about weight loss. And I'm like, well, to be honest with you, I'd rather deal with the health side of this before I start thinking Mm -hmm. about the weight loss. The weight loss probably will come because the mindset is going to, you know, be, be, be tackled. Yeah. And that's exactly what I see in my NHS practice as well, that people might come, um, well, either NHS or my private practice, people will come with a specific goal in mind. And I think there's some very, naturally, there's there's some direct routes that we want to go down. We, we strive for something um, that's quite direct, that's quite simple and people will often come and ask me for I suppose what might be a simple solution to a problem so be it a help to manage a pain condition help to manage any kind of health condition help to manage a mental health difficulty help to lose weight people will come and say this is the goal that I want to work towards and naturally as human beings we strive for a simple direct route to that that's how we're we're wired up so naturally we're drawn to ask for simple solutions However, unfortunately, as human beings, we're not particularly simple beings and we have to, in order, if we want to be able to reach that goal, but also continue and continue living life in line with whatever it is that that's bringing us, then we're going to have to think a little bit deeper and look Mm -hmm. at the, as as an overall human um, and the complexities that that brings And they're the same conversations I find myself having. You probably have similar, like you were just describing there with people all the time about let's have a let's have a holistic look at you as a whole person. And then the goal that you came for will naturally catch up with us. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. 
And it is challenging though, because, and I find in my weight, weight management service, um, it's challenging because um, people have spent their life probably striving to follow the numbers on the scale or the numbers, mm-hmm. inch loss kind of measurements. Um, so to be able to step away from that and I accept that, okay, if I'm going to just put that on the back burner, it's not that I'm neglecting that, you know, that is important as part of my health, but I'm just going to put, that's one thing and I'm going to look holistically. It can raise a lot of anxiety for people to ask them to change that mindset. Conditions so much, aren't they, people, especially like with this, as you said, the dieting mentality to like really fixate on that scales and to take them away from that can be quite, you know, intense for them you know oh yeah you mean I can't go on the scale no we're not going on the scales oh and it, it is that you can see the kind of angst in the yeah. faces when when you tell them that oh my word and, and so uh, a lot yeah of people think it's tied up with feeling in control as well people often mm-hmm. come to me and say I just want to feel in control around food again and this is what I suppose one of the things that brought me into this world was that I'd noticed when I was okay when I was 18 20 when I first signed up to my first ever swimming club it did feel like I was in control to be following a plan and to be doing that and 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 I could stay in that kind of hamster wheel of it and I stayed there for years but actually life now I've come to realize is so much more complicated than it was when I was 18 and there was so much going on in my world that is outside of my control and now every time I try to get back I go back to that same old method of trying to lose weight and find that, okay, I can do it for a few days or a few weeks, and I soon then feel out of control if I'm not mm-hmm. on the plan. And that can feel even more scary. So I've, I've noticed that's when I was, I've had enough of this bouncing back and forth yeah. and feeling like it's an emotional roller coaster of whether I'm on a plan or not. And that's what got exhausting for me. And when I was like, right, no, I'm not doing this anymore. And this is what people often say to me is I want to feel in control. And I imagine that might apply the same to people that come to you, uh, Michelle, to say, help me get control of this this problem. And initially it's scary because initially what I suppose I'm saying to people is we have to maybe loosen our grip on control slightly to see what life is like to live in that grey a little. So rather than being on a plan or off a plan, actually what we're learning through life is that it's possibly not realistic to be able to be on a plan and mm-hmm. therefore in control all the time we have to get used to the fact that sometimes we have to live in a place that's a little bit unknown and a little bit um in the gray but what comes with that is a freedom a, a freedom from needing to be in control all the time and a freedom to be able to live your life and actually look around you and take in all areas of yeah. life Great. it's kind of like what I teach is like um I know in the world of like tra- coaching and everything balance is kind of a bit of a poo-poo word but it is about balance and yeah especially with endometriosis what you need in your life is balance so it's not being completely like um orthorexic with like oh my god I need to be on this plan and like completely tunnel visioned with it but it's having like and the biggest thing for endometriosis sufferers is stress so then if you're stressing yourself out by being too like stringent on a plan then you're going to have like the effects because you're too stressed of being on the plan so it is like you say is getting that balance right of being having a a loose plan to follow but not being too strict with it that you're stressing yourself out yeah and that's where I think it's it's hard the way that our society and culture teaches us to deal with any problems is to find a solution and go for it you know and and to hold on to or to follow and strive for let's say a simple solution Hmm. 
Whereas what you just described there is quite complex, isn't it? It's it's being it's having to take in the right information. It's having to know what actually does matter. And I know in a previous conversation we've talked about the difference between diets, as in diet mentality, and having a knowledge of a healthy diet. And they are two quite different things. Mm. Um, so like you're describing there, having good information, knowing and working out for yourself what might be your own personal triggers for pain and trying to manage your diet so that you don't aggravate or and, and certainly trying to avoid an inflammatory diet on the whole is a healthy thing to do. That's something that's going to help you manage your health. But if you get too rigid with it, too obsessed almost over counting your macros or you know looking at every food label in absolute minute depth every single time like you were saying there you're only going to cause yourself more stress absolutely and 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 start off a whole other cycle problematic cycles so victoria we we touched a little bit on intuitive eating there Mm -hmm. and obviously we've spoken at length and um we're talking as if like everybody knows what that means so for the view for the listeners i would say viewers i mean listeners for the listeners out there um just tell us a little bit about what you consider to be intuitive eating So this is a concept I only came across a couple of years ago. I'd never heard of the term before. And I must put a little caveat in now to say that I think intuitive eating is a almost like a branded type of label. So I'm not I've not completed an intuitive eating course as such. There are coaches out there who are intuitive eating coaches and they've gone through specific training. But from my understanding of what it is as a concept, Um, It's around listening to your intuition and being guided by your body and your knowledge of your own body and using that as your guide for how you treat yourself, Mm. not only really with eating, but also with exercise and movement, as I would add on as well. So when it comes to food, it's around it's not it's not it's certainly not an excuse to just say, oh, well, I'm going to ditch all kind of health knowledge and just eat what the heck I like all the time in terms of and not listen to my body it's about taking an approach which is saying I'm going to eat what I want when I want but I'm going to listen to my body and work out what it is my body wants Mm. and again that can sound really scary when I run my I'm one of the ways that I deliver my work is over a six-week program and when I introduce this idea right at the very beginning to people to say we're going to learn to listen to our bodies and we're going to eat whatever we want whenever we want I do a brainstorm at first of asking people what what's your initial gut reaction to that and usually covered in on the slip chart paper is words like oh my gosh or like give me the chocolate or I'm going to be the size of a house or I'll lose control <laughs> like it's too good to be true all these kind of words we put up there and then when I on week six I get it out again and I say okay let's see if any of these has happened who hears the size of a house Who's eating nothing but chocolate? Who's feeling out of control? And actually, people are astounded by the fact that it's the complete opposite. People tell me they feel much more in control now. They've actually lost weight, usually. Um, They're eating things that they never would have imagined, trying new things. So although it's a scary concept, this idea of eat what you want when you want, Mm -hmm. and most people, it doesn't sound very intuitive, doesn't it? It sounds counterintuitive because most people think, well, that's not going to be good for me because all I'm going to want is chips. (laughs) I'm telling you now when you actually start to really pay attention to your body and listen to it 
your body doesn't want chips mm. all the time. Absolutely. Your body will start to crave the good stuff. Yeah, totally. Um, I've, I've been in tune with this yeah. for such a long time. And, you know, it's, it's really helped me through a lot of my endometriosis. But when you say that to a client, obviously I'm not a psychologist, um, but when I say that to a client, like you just need to learn to listen to your body and give it what it needs, a bit like, whoa. And, ha- and yeah. it's how to teach that then. So obviously yeah. that's where you would come in for me yeah. now because I'd just go, well, go and speak to Dr. Victoria Baxter. She can tell you <laughs> all about it. But before obviously meeting you, I'd be like, well, you just got to learn to listen to your body and just kind of look yeah. at it as if to say, what? <laughs> And that's it, maybe because like if you actually are living and breathing this, it does feel like such an intuitive thing. It, I yeah. can imagine why it's really hard for you to describe that to someone because it 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 takes time, doesn't it? Mm, if it's took about eighteen months for me to probably really truly embrace it, but it just seems to happen. And this is the thing with any kind of therapy. And well, there's a, a saying kind of in the clinical psychology world that if if you say to a client at the end of a course of therapy, what what's helped here? If they can't really name it, then you've probably done a good job because it means it's the process. And that's the yeah. thing with therapy is you've got to trust in the process. And it's the same with this. It's a process. That said, through the therapy experience that I've got through some, so there's a particular type of therapy that I believe intuitive eating overlaps with massively. And again, this is what made me sit up and think I need to start doing this for myself. And it's called acceptance and commitment therapy. Okay. Um, and it's it's the evidence-based therapy that is suggested in weight management services in the UK. So my psychology colleagues who work in weight management in, in the NHS, they all use this. I use this in pain management. Um, so it's it really is. It's a branch of cognitive behaviour therapy, which is the absolute gold standard for psychological therapies in the health, physical health world. And as the name suggests, it's it's around working towards having an acceptance of ourselves as human beings in this world and an acceptance that that means we are going to be complex and we're going to have difficulties at times we're going to have strive you know we're going to strive for things we're going to have this whole arrange array rather of yeah complex experiences so we it's learning to open up and accept that that's what we're dealing with and we can't change that necessarily as in we can't change the fact that we're going to have emotional responses at times to things and we're going to have physical cravings at times to things we can't change that but what we can do is then make a commitment to ourselves to do what matters in the light of those experiences yeah so that's what we call it act for sure and that's what act is all about is about learning to open up so just like you were saying learning to listen to your body learning to be able to be present with whatever's there. So, so often in terms of unhealthy relationships with food, people are quite often maybe switched off to their body because they're trying to maybe move away from an emotional experience. So in order, if, if you're telling someone you need to learn to listen to your body, that, that means actually also being having to have the confidence to be able to listen to whatever else is going on for that person. So in opening up to your body, you might also have to open up to some emotional distress that's mm-hmm. going on. It might be grief. It might be um, fear, anxiety. At the moment, there's a lot of that around with Absolutely, COVID. Yeah. So in term, you, it's impossible to say I'm going to listen to my body and I'm and I'm going to shut off the any emotions that come yeah. up. So you have to have the confidence to be able to deal with both. And ACT teaches people skills to do that. And 
and and take someone through a process of being able to become more and more comfortable with doing that yeah it's definitely a thing for endometriosis sufferers that emotional side of it because yeah the whole process of endometriosis is so emotional the the condition itself gives you heightened emotions and the fact that a lot of women are left without diagnosis for such a long time and yeah. are led to believe that they're you know going mad or something because they're not finding anything physically wrong with them because they've not yeah. had that laparoscopy yet to say that they actually have endometriosis so that mm-hmm. whole like emotional side of things and they as you say the mindset and the mental health side of it mm-hmm. I would imagine that this kind of work would really benefit sufferers mm. yeah yeah and it was in the mental health field where I really got to grips with using ACT for more deeper trauma work mm. um, so I've had some fantastic outcomes for people using ACT to deal with long-standing like childhood traumas yeah um, and actually in the my private practice that's cropped up a few times for people where they've chosen to go down a route of having deeper therapy with me to yeah. address some childhood traumas that we've realized are then tied up in their relationship with food so it's a very versatile approach. And that's why I love being a clinical psychologist um, in terms of I've got the freedom there to be able to take people, whether it's down a deeper therapy route yeah. or to stay at the kind of more coaching level of mm. let's use ACT to think about making changes in the here and now. Yeah. And often they're interlinked. For some people, it's all about just the here and now, and that's fine. For some people, it is more about the deeper stuff. And yeah. and I, I, I enjoy doing that work too and find some absolutely fascinating and really really rewarding outcomes from from that work I can imagine so in in all of that you touched briefly there on cravings and as I said in the intro you know for endo sufferers and for a lot of like people in general cravings can be something that are really real so Mm -hmm. how would you kind of talk people through cravings okay well Again, this is one of those situations where you'd love a simple answer, but it's really <laughs> complex. So there tends to be uh, a few different angles involved. So you've got your, your biological basis of cravings, which I'm sure you pro- you possibly understand more about than me, really, in terms of um, for people with endometriosis, because I, I, the, there will be, when it, wherever, whenever our hormones are in, imbalanced, it's going to affect things like our metabolism and our blood sugar and leave us feeling off kilter. So on a biological level, if we've got something like that going on, we're probably going to be tired as well. And I also, I believe, am I right in thinking with endometriosis, the hormone imbalances can be strongest around the time of ovulation and then in the lead up to your period as well. Absolutely, yeah. And they're both, when I was thinking about that and I was thinking, well, it makes sense that during those times your body is having to do so much extra work, isn't it, to prepare for both ovulation and then later on. Um. So whenever our body is having more work to do, it's going to need more energy coming in. So you're going to experience a physical, very real physical craving for more usually high fat, high sugar foods to get that quick release yeah. energy. So from a physical point of view, biological point of view, it's you know, it's that's the experience. Your your brain is being sent messages of let's fuel up, let's fuel up. Now, if it if it stopped there, if that was the end of the answer, then you, it would be easy to just fuel up on complex carbs high fat low sugar foods which are gonna you know be good for you however 
it gets complicated because of, I suppose, the context that we live in as human beings and the society that we live in these days where we've got such easy access to high fat, high sugar, refined sugar foods mostly. So we're more likely to, and we're living such busy lives that we're more likely to reach for the convenient, quick, available options. So it's unlikely that we're going to have a craving and think, oh, it's okay because in three hours time I'll be home and I can cook up that lovely whole week pasta I've got waiting for me. It's more likely that actually what we've learned through our lifetime is that if I feel this, this craving, I know I can go and fix it there. And as I was saying before, as human beings, we're driven to go for the quick fix. We're also kind of driven, I suppose, as well. Part of our mentality can be to, yeah, to find the quick fix in terms of to we we can struggle with allowing a craving to be present for very long. And or rather, we don't necessarily know what to do. It can it can again evoke a lot of anxiety and such if we are overthinking it too much. So again, because of the way we've evolved to be such complex thinkers it can be very easy for us to develop what we might call narratives of or a story almost of what might happen and we think to the future so if we're feeling maybe we feel our blood sugar dip and we think I need something our mind can automatically maybe remember any times in the past where that has led to us feeling quite faint and unwell and scare us with that it can remember things like or it, sorry, it'll maybe create a picture of imagining us fainting in the street or something. But quite dramatic pictures and stories can go on to encourage us to just fix this now. So we've got all that to deal with as well. Um, and then there's the learned associations that we might have. So we might have learned over our life that when we're feeling tired, unwell in any way, just generally not our best, we've learned that it feels nice to sit down with maybe a cup of tea and a piece of cake or something like that. Um, or whatever it might be that you crave or high, maybe takeaways, things like that. So there'll be social kind of um, associations that we've picked up over our lifetimes of how to soothe ourselves, um, both physically and emotionally when we're not at our best. So there'll be all that going on as well. So it's a really complicated picture of why when we experience a craving, every part of our being will just go to what it is that we've learned is the answer to this. Yeah. And it's really hard to undo that. It's possible, but it's, it's quite, uh, yeah. you know, it takes. I mean, with the work do. I do, um, obviously I, I, I try and help women with endometriosis to follow an anti-inflammatory plan, which is generally mm. um, no refined sugar, especially in the run up to the period, no yeah. complex carbohydrates, because again, that that can help, that can um, hinder the inflammation, can make you more inflamed. What I'm trying to do is get the inflammation as low as possible. Yeah. But a lot of women um, that I work with talk about these absolute cravings for sugar. Mm-hmm. It's and obviously, they are a real thing. It's not just that they're yeah. like it's in the brain. It's a real like physical thing that they are craving that yeah. sugar. And I try yeah. and give alternatives to that. Should I really be steering them away from that, or just letting them go with that craving? I think. That's got to be answered on a case by case basis. So Mm. if I was in that position, I'd be wanting to experiment with what it does for me personally. So if I'm having a if 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 now and again in my diet, I have a pizza or or half a pizza, maybe or a piece of cake. If that's not causing me too much trouble and I don't really particularly suffer for it and it's okay, then. I'd be tempted to say go with it but but enjoy it mindfully and I think that's the that's the thing is that 
it's all about making a mindful and considered decision. So I would never be encouraging anyone to just say, oh, sad it, just go, just eat whatever you want in terms of following your cravings without any consideration and sod it. Yeah. Um, that's that's never going to end well. But the one of the, and one of the, I'm just thinking about one of the tools that I often teach from ACT involves noticing whenever you come across a choice point in your day. So a good example there being maybe you've got in from work, you really have got that physical craving for sugar going on, you know there's some chocolate in the fridge, you're at a choice point then of literally do I dump my bags and go to the fridge and eat and devour that chocolate really mindlessly or what and and where's that going to take me so whenever you're at a choice point the action you take next will generally take you either towards your health value or away from your sorry towards a value not necessarily health but towards a value or away from a value so it might be that in that moment if you were to do that don't run to the fridge and eat it really quickly that might not really be in line with any values particularly that's probably going to take you down the away route and you might end up fit suffering for that because you might mm. eat a full bar of chocolate and really actually that that really just inflames everything so instead if you can pause at the point where you notice you've got your choice and even just for a second pause and think okay what what listen to my body yes I really am craving that I can see it in the fridge already I really want it okay what would be to what what's important what matters to me right now and I guess what matters in that moment is to maybe do something that can bring you a touch of soothing but it also matters to continue to be mindful of your health and it also matters that you've just got in from work and maybe you've got other responsibilities going on so by pausing and thinking right what matters you might still decide I really do feel like every fibre of my being wants that chocolate. I'm going to go and get the chocolate, but I'm going to sit down with it. I'm going to cut off two squares of it and I'm going to really enjoy it for a moment. And you might do that, eat the chocolate, and like I say, sit down with it, eat two squares of it. That's enough, hopefully, to satisfy the physical craving. Mm. But you've not, you've still behaved in line with what matters. Yeah. You've done what matters in that moment. And that's very different, like I say, to just rushing in, going through with it mindlessly, probably yeah. overeating. And to me, the, the 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 main skill to take away from psychological approaches with this is that skill of noticing when you're at that yeah. choice point and pausing, just pausing enough to kind of ground yourself and be, get in tune with your body and think what matters and then make a considered choice of what to do next. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And you, you're so right. I mean, the thing that I get as well with a lot of women is that they can't and then we'll go back to that control thing don't we that mm-hmm. they have that thing that they're craving but then they lose complete control then and yeah. then that's what the symptoms then will become a more you know severe yeah. because they've gone out of control with it whereas yeah. like you say if they just had that little bit satisfied the craving and then it's gone but it's that kind of like I can't just have one piece it's there and I need to eat it all yeah that's where that's where act works really hard in terms of it is about having to put in a foundation across your whole life. So any of these tools as standalone, like you say, they sound maybe a bit like, oh, that sounds all right, but I couldn't do that. Whereas this is where I was talking about that process that people have to go through. And like I say, it's taken 18 months for me personally mm-hmm. to really embed this process of employing, you have to live and breathe this mindful awareness across your whole life. It's really important to absorb 
this mindful mindset into every part of your life. And by doing this, what studies have shown us is that people who are regularly practicing mindfulness, which is a huge part of any psychological therapy these days, but because it's so important, and by regularly practicing mindfulness, studies have shown us on on MRI, you know, functional MRI scans on the brain, that there is a diff there are new links, new pathways developed through regular mindfulness practice, which give people options and choices. So people have been in studies where at the start of the study, they'll have a, an MRI and it shows how when they're exposed to a certain stimulus, so be it, for example, you could, you could apply this to the idea of cravings, you're exposed to the stimulus of a craving, there'll be a direct route. So the route between experience, like stimulus and behaviour will be quite short and direct. After just six weeks of regular mindfulness practice, those routes between stimulus and behaviour become much more long-winded. There's lots of new pathways there, and that's what gives people choice. So by adopting mindful practice into your everyday life in a, in a hugely broadly, there's fascinating lots of so many opportunities to have mindful moments in your life. You're setting yourself up then to be able to notice those choice points, pause and choose how to respond. And, and you're introducing control back into your life. And that's, I think, what people are telling me at the end of my programme is that I feel in control again, actually. At the start, I would have maybe related more to that feeling of not being able to stop when I'm full yeah. I can now stop yeah. when I'm full and I can now yeah I, I feel more in control I'm making more mindful choices and that's yeah, the that's most empowering stuff. thing and and it's so empowering because it's coming from within as well so mm. it's not that I'm feeling in control because I'm following someone's plan it's I'm feeling in control in here within me absolutely um so obviously you've got these tools that you can give people to use when they have cravings, when they have like um, mm. this problem with the emotional eating. Um, yeah. But how would you get people to actually do that? <laughs> That's really hard um, because ultimately someone does have to be invested themselves. They have to have come to a point where they realise, right, no, something needs to change. Um, we do try and start from a place where we're going to feel the benefits of it quickly to try and boost that motivation. So you can quite quickly feel the benefits from slowing down and doing mindful eating, for example, so that you're slowing down and enjoying your food. People often find that by starting that, they kind of quite instantly notice that they feel fuller quicker. So working on that connection between mind and gut, really, helping that strengthen again, because often years and years of dieting can really destroy that connection between mind and body. Yeah. So by starting from that focus, people often find really quick um, results, really. And particularly when that's combined with some sound nutrition advice. So I guess it's important for me to clarify throughout all this. I haven't clarified that I'm not a nutritionist. I don't give out nutritional advice myself. But 99% of the people I work with have been seen nutritionists, so they've got an idea of what they want mm -hmm. to be eating. And they're coming to me because they're just not eating it <laughs> consistently. Yeah. Um, so by them digging out their nutritional plan and starting to eat in often an anti-inflammatory way, they notice very quickly, they notice positive effects. So within a day or two, you can notice less uh, bloating and things like that. So that's all these things are those that biofeedback that we're getting to reinforce that we want to keep doing this. But ultimately, in the first place, yeah, people have to be in a place where 
they're willing to experiment a little and to take yeah. a few risks. So it might be that I spend the first couple of consultations with someone thinking about that and acknowledging what that's going to be like and laying down some some skills and some or, or doing some work with someone rather it might be less skill based in the in the offing it might be more about doing some work with someone to help their confidence that they can they can do this they can make some changes they can let go of some of those tight rules that yeah. have, they've lived yeah. their life by so sometimes it's mostly just by building that relationship and helping someone have an experience of what it's like to have someone in your corner with you going through yeah. this I guess um, like in the nutrition world we like talk about mm-hmm. somebody's state of readiness of yeah. where they are ready to take on a plan or yeah. ready to change make a lifestyle change and yeah. I guess that's what you're saying is that yeah in a psychological way they have to be ready as well yeah yeah absolutely yeah it, it probably um, overlaps massively yeah, yeah and, and and definitely people will be at different stages or yeah. I think it's like I've thought about it. I'm ready to talk about it. I'm ready to take yeah. action. And it's that kind of yeah. three-step thing, isn't it? And also, actually, what often comes up um, if somebody seems or feels that they're ready to go, and they they know might notice a pattern of often being ready to go, but then maybe something like a a feeling of self sabotage can crop up. Maybe that that's something that people yeah. quite often come and talk to me about, actually that they've tried slimming approaches over their life, but they feel it's something within them self-sabotaging. So we can spend a bit of time working on that and exploring that. And that's where sometimes even the the deeper therapy comes in to help someone deal with something from their past so that they they have that, um, we call it sense of agency, that self-belief that they are worthy of this change and that they can make this change. So we might work for, say, three to six sessions on that first. And then actually, once that's been dealt with, they can just run with a nutritionist then to put the stuff into place. Um, And my part of the jigsaw might be complete there. Yeah, Yeah. it definitely works really well together, I think. Yes, yes. For sure. So what kind of advice would you get, you have, for getting somebody out of this ingrained belief about food that something's good or bad? Mm-hmm. and getting rid of that diet culture within somebody oh um again I'm striving for a simple answer and I can't find one um I <laughs> guess it's just about it's, it's about having these conversations opening up to possibilities really and experimenting mm-hmm. with stuff so yeah I will happily talk to someone till the cows come home about why I believe that diet mentality is part of the problem but somebody has to go out there and and try it and be willing to practically make some of those changes that we've just been talking about in terms of loosening a bit of the control over dieting maybe something like experimenting with a week of not counting calories or something like that and then exploring how actually in reality how that affects them and so you have to live and breathe it to try it to start to let go but also, as I say, where there are some anxieties cropping up with that, it would be around just exploring those anxieties, exploring the, the stories that maybe the mind is giving you around why you can't let go of that diet mentality. Mm. And sometimes it's just it's stuff that's been ingrained in us from day one. Like even the language we use, we hear around us growing up around kind of like cut, 
calling certain foods treats or calling that naughty food or people you know might say oh shall we be naughty let's have a takeaway and things like that and it's just about again coming right back around to what I said before about having that foundation of awareness means you start to notice these things in yourself so by noticing and picking up on yourself every time you use that kind of language you can think oh I've done it again I didn't realize that so in my sessions it might be about setting people tasks like notice every time yeah absolutely one thing um I was talking to um, a coach that a friend of mine that I know and we were having this kind of conversation again and she said something about um why do we always say let's have a treat and it be related to food you know we're not a dog you know you say you give a treat to a dog and, and that really stuck in my head and now like when I say like to my husband oh should we, should we treat ourselves and go out for dinner it's like why are we treating ourselves with dinner it's just yeah food. we're just having like you know everybody eats why is it a treat? Yeah. you know yeah, yeah. it's that kind I'm of language that. that you kind of start noticing I- isn't it and ironically, the, the language we've been that we use around treats is usually food that is absolutely not going to treat our body well. Mm. Um, so I, I, I might still use the word treat, but I'll think, oh, I'm going to treat myself to something and it'll be something healthy. Now. It'll be like I'm going to treat myself to having an hour to prepare something that's really maybe quite extravagant and using ingredients that I've never used before. Or, you know, um, that to me is a treat. Uh, as well as uh, anything non-food related like you say getting my hair done or nails or having a bath or something but even around food why is it that we call sweets and ice cream and chocolate treats when and pizza (laughs) you know these things are not treating our body well are they but so uh, but we're all I think it's so again it's down to society and culture isn't it that that is so deeply ingrained but we can just start to notice it have a laugh with ourselves about it. There's no need to be too serious about it and just unhook from it. It's all about yeah. if that's hooking you into a, a, maybe you have a story, a narrative that is like Friday night is treat night. If that's hooking you and it's hooking you away from doing what matters, then it's about spotting it and learning to unhook and think, no, what really matters? Okay, it's Friday night. I really want to sit down with my family and enjoy something while we chat and catch up on the week. It doesn't have to be a takeaway. Let's let's do something different. Yeah, fabulous. Yeah. I could speak to you all day about this. It's just fascinating. <laughs> it really is. And uh, obviously, when we get chatting, it could go on yeah. all day. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything that we haven't covered in the podcast today that you'd like the listeners to maybe know about or anything that you'd like to tell us about? I don't think so. I suppose just like a take home message that I, I'm always trying to get out there is just about encouraging people to start to notice what's going on for them. Yeah. And and noticing the subtleties around our language, noticing how we're thinking and feeling around food or our health. And if any of that concerns anyone, if any of that isn't how someone would want it to be, then just encouraging them to talk to whoever they trust really so whether it's talking to someone like yourself you know if they're in touch with yourself or another um avenue of support someone that they trust and of course people are always welcome to make contact with me through my website if they would want to talk about anything that's been inspired from today maybe but just uh, yeah noticing what's going on and if it doesn't feel instinctively right talking to someone about it and then seeing if there's something that needs some further exploration something that they could maybe look at learning more about in terms of them themselves and their own definitely I think it's very important especially like obviously the work I do with women with endometriosis there's only so 
much I can help them with. Obviously, mm-hmm. I talk about nutrition, I talk about exercise, and I talk about stress management. But yeah. on a deeper level, I know myself, I've had like um, therapy from past trauma, which has all mm-hmm. been related to my condition. So I really right. would urge um, if, if clients need more help to speak to someone like yourself um, about maybe mm-hmm. getting rid of that deep-rooted emotional problems yeah. that are still coming up time after time because you can have the best nutrition program you can have the best exercise program you can get on top of that stress but if the trauma's still in the body then I yeah. think that it's 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 you no know, it's it's always going to be there yeah and I suppose that's from both a physical and an emotional point of view because we know that the body if we're living with emotional stress we're going to be living with increased cortisol aren't we and that's absolutely gonna be, that's again yeah. going to contribute to weight gain is particularly around the stomach and things which is particularly a health risk for women well and men um, yeah but also like I say from an emotional point of view if we're if we're living carrying around our trauma we might subtly and subconsciously be putting up our own blocks to health there might be like those self-sabotage kind of patterns going on and it's only yeah. by starting to notice and being curious to our experiences that we we can maybe start to think oh that's something to possibly explore and that might then lead to like say to change to more consistent health choices for the long term and that's what this is about isn't it? it's about long-term health rather than just striving for the numbers to go down on the scale or just striving to get into a smaller pair of jeans and those things are all short-term as well this is about living lifestyle change for life isn't it exactly Totally. So, Victoria, I'm going to put this in the show notes, but where can we find you on web, your website, social media, etc.? Where can we find you? The best place to find me is on Facebook and Instagram. And I'm love food, live well on both of those. Um, or I think if you put love food, live well into Google, you'll see the various publications I've been in and things like that and you can find me in all these places fantastic as I say I will add that in the show notes so that people can find you easily there's also sorry on on Facebook I've got my group as well which people are more than welcome to join which is called mindful mouthfuls Um, yeah I'm in that it's fascinating actually I I love to see your post coming up and uh and it's just a fun place to be isn't it yeah it's really nice actually People can share, anyone that's interested, that loves food, can share their own pictures of their food and things like that and play some games around food and stuff. Brilliant. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, as I say, you know, I could talk about this all day. Um, (laughs) It's been so great speaking to you and um, I really look forward to getting some feedback from this. It's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you very much. Have a great day and I'll speak to you real soon. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to Endo Matters. I've been Michelle Brooks from Desired Physique. If you have a question you'd like me to answer, please drop me a message on Facebook or Instagram or email me at info at desiredphysique.co.uk. If you like what you've heard and have found the information useful, please subscribe to the podcast on the platform you are listening to. Also, if you have enjoyed the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Endo Matters is recorded and produced by Strength in Media.